Hey, My Mom's Basement listeners, you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, and Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. We're here. WWE Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin is on the show today. I had a phoner interview with him. It was only 15 minutes, so obviously I didn't get to ask him everything I wanted to ask. I kind of focused in and made this interview all about basically what he wanted to talk about, his new show on the WWE Network, which pretty much sounds like his interview show, his live interview show, the live podcasts he would do a few years back, but they're going to be pre-taped this time. They're going to put them on after pay-per-views, the first one with Mark Calloway, a.k.a. The Goddamn Undertaker debuts this Sunday after Survivor Series. So we talked a lot about The Undertaker. We talked a lot about the show, the culture of podcasting and whatnot that Steve has gotten into the last few years. And it was a very cool time. It's obviously just surreal being a fucking kid sitting there talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin. He is a larger-than-life, superhero-esque personality for me, and he couldn't have been just more normal and down-to-earth. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Please enjoy this interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Undertaker is not a person that has done this ever before. So what can we expect this Sunday? Man, you got to tune in to see what we ended up with. But it was great just sitting down with uh, Mark. And I've called him, you know, in, in the wrestling business, kind of, uh, uh, some people you call him by their work name. Uh, some people you call him by their shoot name. I've, I've always referred to Mark as Taker. So this was a chance for me to sit down and talk with Mark, the guy that was The Undertaker. And, and as, as you know, uh, being a fan, I mean, this guy's been doing it for over 30 years, and he kind of has loved that gimmick. And he, he has, you know, he's done a few things, but he's pretty much stayed kayfabe his entire career. So just to uh, shoot the breeze with him and have a sit-down conversation with him was it was just a lot of fun. And uh, really interesting to hear his take on his career and, you know, what it took to get that gimmick over and what it took to ride the lightning bolt as long as he did. I really can't wait to listen to it. And we hear the term locker room leader about The Undertaker a lot. Over the years, we've heard that almost incessantly as hardcore fans. But it's sort of a vague term, right? None of us have ever been in a wrestling locker room. We don't really know what that entails. Without You don't have to give us specifics. But what does that mean, a locker room leader? Because it seems like a, a sign of much respect when somebody is called that. I think it's a calm within the storm. You know, when anything goes down, and, and you know, because Taker was there so long, he was—he just kind of turned into the guy. I don't think he necessarily, you know, was waving up his hand and said, "Hey, I'm the guy. I'm the leader." Uh, but that's the way you know he conducted business. Always level-headed. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a thinker. You know, I was a little bit more of a knee-jerk kind of guy. But I remember, you know, when the screw job happened in Montreal, you know, everybody kind of looked to him because he was the barometer because he'd been, been there since, you know, when he went. And so it's just, he's, he's that guy that when anything goes awry or if everything's going steady, you just look to him to see which way the wind's blowing. I mean, and that's the easiest way I can, I can describe it because he's not gathering up the troops like a quarterback or a defense coordinator when things are going bad. Say, hey, man, we need to do this. We need to work harder to fill up these seats. It's not that. It, it was just you know the kind of the barometer of, of how things were going. He was the guy you looked to, and and many guys went went through uh, went to Undertaker if they were looking for career advice on how to navigate the waters or uh, how to go about talking or creating a relationship with Vince or with respect to their character and how it was getting over. And you know Taker might give him a quick read, but he wasn't 
like a shrink. He wasn't a psychologist. He wasn't there to, you know, just offer up those services. Guys went to him because he'd been through so much and seen so much that they kind of gravitated towards him. Did you have anyone like that where if you had any questions, you would go to them for advice or guidance? Well, I would ask a few different guys, that you know, some peers in the locker room. Uh, and sometimes it was Vince, but because I was kind of different than everybody else, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know who to ask because no one had kind of done it the way I did it. And I always say superstar Billy Graham was doing it before I was doing it because he was that guy who was a heel, but he was becoming so entertaining, had been senior, really know what to do with him. He kind of could have segued, you know, he could have done the same thing that, that Vince did with me. Turn me babyface, and, and and you don't really have to execute a turn. Just the way the crowd was responding to him, just transition to him to where he's working with heels now and talking all that same trash. So Undertaker was so different, and I asked him who he went to, and you'll see that in the interview, and that's a very interesting answer. But for me, uh, it was a feeling out process and kind of using my instincts, and so many things back then happened on the fly. And because I was, you know, Superstar was there, but he never had the ride I did because they didn't switch him. So a lot of things that Vince and I were doing, man, this is the first time it had ever been done. And I'm not saying I was the, the, the breakout worker that introduced different psychology to the business, but to be in, in that time, in that era, to be so hot as a heel and then be doing things that, that almost would be considered heel-like as a babyface to, to navigate those waters was sometimes kind of difficult and we went by crowd reaction, and it was a, a thing that was always ongoing, and you know, always reading the temperature and seeing where we were at. That's fascinating, and I don't think anyone has ever in the history of the business garnered the crowd reaction that you did at your peak. When that glass shatters and that crowd pops, and you you know you hear it behind the when you're in Gorilla, is there a is there a moment where you're locked in? You're just thinking about the match. You got to go out there. You got to be stone cold, and you got to compete. Or is there something that hits in your mind where you kind of can smell the roses for a minute, where you're like, this is insane how these people are reacting to me? Well, you honestly live, you know, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, you're speaking to me, so I'll tell you, I live and die by that response. And, man, nine times out of ten, or maybe more than that, it was always through the roof. And as soon as that, that glass broke and that, that crowd reacted, I was like, oh, man, we got them. We got them. And then any kind of game plan I had in my head, I knew as long as we didn't mess anything up, we were going to crush this thing. Every now and then you'd get a tired crowd because there'd been so many good matches. And yeah, they were waiting for the main, but they were a little wore down. And you didn't get that quite as loud a reaction as you were wanting or expecting. And it's like, man, it could have been a little bit better than that. So, I'm hypersensitive to that crowd reaction, and I can read a crowd, and, and I listen to a crowd the, the entire match or the entire time I'm out there. And uh, I was talking to a guy a long time ago, and they said, Steve, you know, a lot of times after the match, many times I would stay for a long time when, when we went dark and I would entertain the crowd. But as far as television time, you know, I, I made it a habit never to wear out my welcome or stay too long. You always want to leave them uh, wanting more. Uh, satisfy them while they're there. But as soon as you start feeling just, even before you start feeling a little bit of a downturn, get your ass out of there and get in the back. So it, it was always, you live and die by the response to answer your question. And yeah, it has a, a huge impact on me and I'm quite sure everybody else. It seems like almost if you got that immediate 
amazing crowd response, 10 out of 10 from the crowd, what you wanted. Maybe you could go out there and have more fun in the match, just knowing that obviously you were going to do your job, your opponent was going to do their job. So everyone has a podcast now, it seems. Everyone in the wrestling industry has a podcast. A lot of wrestlers, former wrestlers, former people in the business have a podcast. If podcasts were around in the Attitude Era, who do you think would be the people jumping on the train trying to host these things? Man, I don't know. That's speculation. Uh, but just, just with everybody having podcasts now, I think it's tremendous because, you know, anybody and everybody can have a voice. And there you have your voice, and you can capture uh, your voice and, and your opinions and someone else shooting the breeze with you maybe and have this audio. And so then you need to take it out and grow an audience. That, <clears throat> that's where the difficulty lies. But the, the, the thing, that, and I've enjoyed podcasting, but over the last few years, uh, just for instance, the other day, my stunt double, Paul Lazenby, came down from Vancouver. He came down to see the New Japan Pro Wrestling Show because he's friends with a lot of those guys, and they do a lot of good work over there. And so we started just off the cuff talking about some tag team wrestling, which I love. And I, I simply stated that the tag team wrestling uh, today isn't like it used to be where you had dedicated teams that were together for many, many years and sometimes their entire careers. And so all of a sudden I get taken out of context and said, Steve Austin, blast current uh, WWE tag team scene. And it, that's the, the, Robbie, the, the biggest, that, that, I know this is a little different the answer than you, you asked on the question, but the thing, I, the thing I'm disliking the most uh, out of podcasting, you know, as of late and in the past, is being taken out of context. And when you're just trying to form an opinion or a voice an opinion, as someone uses it as clickbait and changes what you said, so it looks like you're speaking negatively of the current scene. I never want to speak negatively about the current scene. The business has changed since I left it, but there are many things that remain the same. And to simply state the obvious and get taken out of context is one of the things that rubs me the wrong way. No, I'm with you. We see it happen all the time. That's obviously, I think it's a concern of, of many people. It seems like podcasts should be the medium where you could really dive in and understand what somebody's saying and not get taken out of context, but they flip it the other way. So let me ask you this. Let's talk about how great some of the things on the new scene are. When you go back and make an appearance on Raw or SmackDown or whatever you're on, who are the people in the locker room, the new talent that you always make sure you check in with and, and keep your eye on? And well, not you don't really have a chance all the time to check in with everybody because man, we were busy back in the day, and it was it was uh, the business was on fire. In these days, uh, the WWE superstars are going through so many uh, different things. They have uh, just much more digital content that they're trying to film uh, for WWE.com and, and, and other things. I mean, Corey just started, Corey Graves just started his podcast. So he was, I, I appeared on that, uh, yesterday, but they're doing so many things and they're so busy and, and man, the machine is much bigger than it used to be. So they're so busy. You don't have a chance to really shoot the breeze with too many people other than, Hey man, hi, bye. What's going on? They'll give you a quick, uh, download and they're off and running. You know, if I get a chance to talk to Bron, it's usually about hot rods or side-by-sides or something like that. Uh, because Becky Lynch was on my uh, Straight Up Steve Austin show, I'll, I'll always, you know, make time to check in with her because we're really good friends, or Sasha and Bailey. It's just, you just got to, you know, when Bray just passed by, I guess it was Tampa, where, you know, he's doing the Firefly Funhouse, and he's, he's so busy doing that. I love that gimmick. I love what he's done with it. So, to answer your question, things are moving so fast back there, and you know we're coming from, kind of from you know, been gone a long time and coming back for a special event. 
I'm trying to take a temperature, get a read on exactly what they want me to do. And if someone uh, wants to ask me a question, I'm always happy if they pull me aside. But I just kind of kind of watch the process because when, when you're when you're one of the ants, you know, and it's like a big ant farm. Yeah, they're all they're they're all specifically you know doing the task that they've got you know it's either wardrobe this that you know still photos. There's a million things those 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 kids have to jump through. So I just kind of let them do their thing and talk to the ones that I can talk to. Understood completely. I've got one more question for you, a question that I try to ask every single wrestler I interview. If you can give our listeners a recommendation for maybe an obscure match, a match that you don't believe that the casual wrestling fan, the average everyday wrestling fan has seen, that they can go back and check out. You could be involved, you could not be involved. What would you recommend? Man, this is what I've been talking uh, about for about nine months. It's uh, You can find it on YouTube if you just type in uh, Harley Race versus Terry Funk. Uh, it's a uh, two out of three falls match. The, the match lasts 40 minutes. It's Harley Race, Terry Funk from 1977 at the San Houston Coliseum. Paul Bosch is laying down the commentary and there's a part in the match there where, and you watch the way these pinfalls happen and you're talking about two absolute masters in the ring who had so much chemistry with each other and no tell, tell them how many times those guys had worked with each other. And then at one point in the match, uh, Funk gets busted open, and I'll be danged if you can see where, you know, when. Well, you you, you kind of understand how because of the left hands Harley's throwing, but where and when uh, that happens, the absolute masterful technicians that these guys were, there's basically two spots in, in the match, and that's basically a, a tackle and a sidestep from Harley throwing Terry Funk out. So it's a classic style wrestling match from the mid-'70s. So that's it. Funk versus race, two out of three falls, 1977. Check that one on YouTube and tell me if that's not one of the all-time great matches you've ever seen. Wow, now I really can't wait to do it. Steve, thank you so much. The Broken Skull Sessions will be live on the WWE Network immediately following Survivor Series, 11 p.m. Eastern. I'll be tuning in. I know every single wrestling fan in the world probably will be. I can't thank you enough for the time. Thanks, Robin, for helping us spread the word.